Welcome to Live and Air Podcast, your show with interviews and insights on meditation, mindfulness, and consciousness. This podcast is brought to you by liveandair.com, and I'm your host, Giovanni Dinsman. This is episode number 11, and I'm interviewing Peter Peterson, who is a Qigong and meditation practitioner and teacher. In this episode, you will learn about Qigong, how to get started, and what it can do for you, and the power of loving-kindness meditation. Peter, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. I'm delighted to be with you. It's great to have you in the show. Can you briefly talk about your background? My background was in sales, and I was seeking some sort of movement practice. I was dabbling in some yoga, and I was dancing, but on a hot summer day in July of 2001, I walked in a room and saw all these people moving their body in a very specific and slow, fluid way and was intrigued. I was like, this looks really cool and amazing. I, I'm interested in, in doing it and just started moving my body with how the teacher was instructing people. And after about 45 minutes of just doing this one move, we took a break. I felt amazing. And I felt incredibly alive, a lack of a better word, high, so to speak, like this natural high. I had this notion of like, wow, where do I get more of this? And how do I keep it pervasive in my life? Nice. So that was a, a Qigong class or was it a Tai Chi? It was a Qigong three-day workshop. And after the first hour, I was completely hooked. And by the end of the session on Sunday, I was a completely different person. I viewed the world differently because of my senses and my emotional state were at such a different level. So my senses were heightened and my emotional body was completely at peace and at one with the universe. And that's what changed my mind to start teaching and doing this practice. It's beautiful to see this richness of possibility, the different avenues that people arrive into stillness and in silence. For some people, it's music. For some people, it's contemplation. For other people, it's, it's movement. Before doing that Qigong class, did you have any experience with meditation or that was your beginning? That was my very beginning. A month later, I dove into a seven-day Vipassana retreat, which was incredibly mind-blowing and also aggravating at the same time because those first couple of days of not talking was incredibly hard because losing your ability to talk it's an experience you can't even really describe with words ironically but um <laughs> it's training the mind to allow itself to take a break and rest and be quiet and when you go inward you allow a multitude of other notions and emotions to come to the surface that you never even knew existed. And it was incredibly transformational for me. And then by on that third day is kind of like that breakthrough day where you're like, okay, I'm not going to talk. So screw it. I'm just going to go with this. You step into a place of like euphoria and you're just happy to be at one and at peace with everything. I recommend people to try out the seven day Vipassana if they can but to maybe start out to do one or two days of silence first before going and doing a full seven-day process. Hmm. Why would you say that observing silence was so transformational? 
It's a mystical question. You think about how many thoughts we have in a day and how much we, we talk. We, I mean, we talk anywhere between 50 to 90,000 thoughts in a day. And when you embrace the silence on the outside, which means you stop talking, and then you also embrace the silence in your mind and allow the thoughts to slow down. And when you come out of that place of silence, not only feel refreshed and relaxed and energized, but you feel incredibly alive. Like your senses are in heightened. The sight, sound, touch, everything is in heightened. So conversations will go deeper. You know, food tastes different. Colors look sharper on the outside. And the, you feel the wind on your face and you feel the sun on your cheek. Just everything is in heightened when you wake up out of that state of silence. And to me, it's like, why not, why not have that feeling as much as you can? Because you're very observant and you're hyper aware when you come out of that state. Mm -hmm. And when you're hyper aware, you are in control of your life. You're not on automatic pilot. You're not just kind of going along with the same old behaviors that you have every single day. You are augmenting and changing your life so that you can create the best life for you at that moment. That's why I feel why I'm such an advocate of meditation and, and an advocate of Qigong movements is because you are getting into that place in between the thoughts with greater ease. Mm -hmm. And in between the space in between the thoughts is where I believe real magic to be activated. There's nothing controlling you. You're not behavior patterns are not running automatically you are in control and you are the observer of your life and your body and that is the shift the shift of understanding that we are not one thought inside our heads that we are the observer that we, we have the capability correct. to step back and to just let the thoughts arise be whatever they want to be and leave us and we remain untouched we are just the space in which these thoughts arise meditation retreats intensive like that gives the opportunity for us to look and to see this and to experience inside ourselves rather than just reading in a book or, or having a theoretical understanding. Just stepping back a little bit here for the listeners that are not familiar with, with Vipassana retreats. Vipassana is a Buddhist meditation technique and a Vipassana retreat is usually from 5 to 10 days in which you meditate from 8 to 12 hours a day depending on, on the retreat and the lineage. And there's no talking, shouldn't even be looking at other people. So your eyes should always be towards the ground. And there's no exercise, there's no reading, there's no writing. So it's really just you and yourself several hours a day on the cushion. And people go through hardships and people go through breakthroughs in this experience because there's no way for you to escape. It's just you there uh, with yourself. Our um, Vipassana was a little bit different. We had three 30-minute sessions of meditation, of sitting on the mat. And then we were also given some tasks to do throughout the day. Some of it was like raking leaves and weeding or doing something in the garden. And then some of us were in the kitchen preparing food. That was like some active meditation that we were doing. And then they would allow us to roam free to go to like walk down to the beach or walk the grounds and do some walking meditation. So there was some different types of meditation 
involved in that practice. And I appreciated that because sitting for several hours a day on a cushion, I personally don't think it's good for the body to sit that long. But I did appreciate the stillness of sitting for an hour and a half each day. In that lineage of Buddhism, walking meditation is a very integral part of the teaching. So it's also included there somehow. Yes. Would you say that the silence that you experienced during that retreat and the silence that you experienced during your, your Qigong practice, are they kind of similar experiences or they feel different? I would say they feel different because I experience much more of a connection to oneness once I'm done doing my Qigong practice. I think everybody has their own path to that place of stillness. You know, some people it's listening to music, some people it's walking out in nature, and some people it's sitting on a cushion. And for me, it's it's moving my body because when the body is in motion, the mind is still. But the qigong that I do efficiently and effectively moves this energy through my body. And when I'm done, I feel so in a place of peace and relaxed, but also energized. And when I want to sit and meditate after I'm done, it's a complete snap of the fingers. Like I'm in the meditation state instantly once I'm done. I really love that state of meditation where I'm able to access the space in between the thoughts with relative ease. That's why I like Qigong more than just sitting down and meditating without moving first. So you would say that Qigong before meditation, it's better to make the meditation go deeper? Oh, absolutely. Personally, making my meditation practice go deeper. When I meditate before moving, it takes me a little while to really settle the thoughts. And I've got this laundry list of things to do. Like, what are you doing? Like, my mind's trying to get me to move. And you have the whole day ahead of you. You have to go to the grocery store, you have to go to the bank, you got to go get the car washed or, you know, do all these chores. Mm -hmm. And and that's great. I mean, that's great. I mean, the mind is doing its job and those are things that you need to do. But you can start out your day by just taking a few moments to just be and you don't need to think about those things right away. Sitting meditation is a great way to access that space in between the thoughts and to connect with the oneness and, and the divine. But for me, moving first is what really allows my mind and my body to connect with that oneness on a much deeper level because mm -hmm. all of the, the surface level thoughts that are dealing with my physical body and my physical realm are allowed to be put off to the back burner or off to the side and not have to look at them at that moment. It's like they just magically disappear and much deeper, more profound ideas and notions start floating in and allow me to gain an access to knowledge and wisdom I never even knew was possible. I can definitely relate with that, and I think many people can, because the mind is very subtle, but the body is more gross, so to speak. So it's easier to start working with the body, to calm down the body, calm down the breath, and then you can more easily calm down the mind and within. So, for instance, in the, in the lineage of Swami Rama, they give a great emphasis of first you work with your body, you calm the body through asanas and relaxation, then you work with your breath, you calm the breath, and then you can sit and work with your mind. Absolutely. And what I love about Qigong 
is that it makes you very aware of your breath and your heartbeat. And personally, I believe that if you're aware of your breath and your movements, you are always in the meditation state. You are in a state of awareness where you are the observer and you are able to augment and change your life however you want. And generally, when you're in this high vibration or high consciousness state, you generally make decisions that are very beneficial for you, whether it's eating foods that are nutritious or making time to sleep properly, making decisions on who to hang out with and have conversations with. You know, are you making decisions to hang out with people that are sucking your energy and are taking away from your energetic field? Or are you with people that are uplifting you and inspiring you and helping you to move towards the manifestations and goals that you really are desiring and wanting to bring into your life? Hmm. So when you start to meditate and, and you do this Qigong practice or yoga, whatever type of spiritual practice you choose, you become more aware of your breath and that breath is your gateway to a higher state of consciousness or a more mindfulness state of being. And that's where mind, body and breath become naturally married to one another. And to me, when those three things are working together, your flow of energy is uninhibited. Mm. It's just flowing between you and the universe without any stoppages or hindrances. It's just flowing naturally. And that's where your microcosm is connected to your macrocosm on a very dynamic level so that you are connecting to the cosmos as much as you are connecting to the innermost being of who you are. It's very simple, but also I think it's very profound and sometimes hard to follow. But I think since you are a meditation practitioner and teacher, you kind of understand that paradigm in that context. Yeah, the thing is our internal world is so subtle. Words get very slippery and it's very hard to describe <laughs> to exactly what's happening. <laughs> Exactly. Describing the immaterial world or describing feeling of oneness, it's really something you just have to experience in order to really fully understand. The closest words you can get are peaceful, joy, exaltation, liberation, equanimity. Those are the words that get fairly close to what that feeling's like, but it's still not really describing what it is. Yeah. And so I recommend people to, to at least try it out for 10 to 15 minutes and, and be a scientist and see what it feels like for them. And then sitting and then taking a few moments just to sit, even if it's just for three to five minutes, try just sitting for a few moments and, and see what comes up and, and be a scientist with your thoughts. And when the thoughts come in, try not to judge them and allow them just to be as they are and be like, oh yeah, okay, I have to go to the bank. I gotta get a present for mom next weekend. And not delve into those thoughts or get hooked into those thoughts, back away from the thoughts and just be kind of like the observer. I, I like to use the metaphor of a stream, like a stream is your thoughts and you are in the stream usually when you're in the physical world. And they call this like the beta brain state, like the beta waves are just having one hemisphere of your brain is in use usually in the beta brain state. And it's and the beta brain state is all about the body and it's all about taking care of the body in your physical world. But when you step into the alpha and theta wave state, that's the meditation state. That's where these waves are basically connecting both hemispheres of your brain. 
and you're allowed to be more at peace and information that comes to you, you're allowed to comprehend it and understand it a lot easier. And you're able to retain that information and yeah. utilize it later when it's called upon. So, you know, meditation and, and movement, I'd say are very integral to changing behavior, changing your thoughts and, and changing emotions. And if you can, can be in control of those three things, you are ultimately commander of the ship. You yeah. are in control of your life. Yes. And unless you stop and really slow down, you have no opportunity to take control of this because things are flowing so quickly. If you don't stop and recognize your true position as the observer, that you're different from your thoughts and that you have the ability to either pay attention to the thoughts, think the thoughts, or just let them be. Correct. You step away from the stream Instead of being in the stream, you step away from the stream and you look at the stream from a distance and allow yourself to observe the stream without any judgment and just be like, okay, these thoughts are happening. And a lot of times the thoughts that are coming through aren't even your thoughts. They're thoughts from somewhere else. They're thoughts from a friend or a family mm. member. And you're just, you're regurgitating those thoughts and they're just coming up and they're flowing through and you're like, gosh, right. And I, I'm sure like you've had several times and experiences in your life where something will come up and you're like, wow, where did that come from? Like, that's not me. Who or what is that? <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, somehow there are so many seeds inside our mind that are put from outside, from people and movies we watch and books we read and it's a melting pot of conditioning. Yeah, I've noticed that when I'm out in the country, my mind is so much more peaceful and relaxed. And when I go into a large city where there's a lot of other people, I'll find myself just judging people on this autonomic basis. And I'll be like, wow, like where is that judgment coming from? I don't care about that lady's hairstyle or, or what that person's wearing or their choice of what they're eating. Like, why am I having this judgment come up? A lot of times I don't even think it's my energy. It's I'm picking up on other people's thoughts and energy that surrounds me. And if you're in a concentrated place with all these people who are very judgmental, that can happen to you very easily. Yes. Our choices of environment and habits are really important. I mean, ideally, our, our self-mastery would be so strong that regardless of environment or anything, we're always in the right path. But reality is we are affected by our environment. So the choice of people, the choices of places we go and, and things we eat and watch and read, this really have a big influence in our mind. It plants seeds that's gonna be there and the moment you sit to meditate, they're gonna come up. And they're also there influencing sometimes even without you being aware of it. So I think you touched an interesting point there that as you said, when you are in the city or in crowded places, you get suddenly more judgmental. That's probably the energy of those people around you and just like the, the feeling of the place is like that. That's why I recommend if you live in a big city or, or in a city quite a bit, then it's it's imperative that you have some sort of movement or spiritual practice that connects you to the divine, that you do it as much as possible, that you're doing yoga, you're dancing, you're doing Qigong or Tai Chi, you're doing some sort of practice that is allowing you to connect to that spaciousness in between the thoughts. And if you're in the country, just connecting with nature and I'm connecting with myself and my energy is flowing freely. And it's almost like that walking in the woods is my Qigong practice. But if I'm surrounded by walls and wires and plastic and a bunch of other people that are interfering with my energy and there's a lot of elect like electronic or magnetic chaos flowing through the air that's around me, 
then I really need to protect myself by doing my practice. When I practice my Qigong, it's like I'm putting up an energetic shield around me that's protecting me from darker energies or other invasive energies that might want to disrupt what I'm feeling and thinking at the time. And also detoxing of the, of the things that already picked up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are so many types of Qigong. How somebody that knows nothing about it, how would they go in and start looking for it or, or knowing what to choose? Ah, uh, good question. I got extremely lucky. My teacher is known to be one of the best Qigong teachers around the world. He was a martial arts coach. He, he taught the national Chinese wushu team for several years, took them to many gold medals. And then he was asked to become a martial art movie actor. So he actually <laughs> was in several martial art movies and just became wildly famous. I mean, he was already famous as being the coach of the team, but then became even more famous as a movie actor. And he actually directed a few movies as well. He was visited by a Qigong teacher one day and was said, hey, you need to teach the world this, this information. And he started doing this Qigong and he started meditating and he received a dream a dream of 126 moves of this particular type of Qigong. The dream told him like, hey, you need to break this dream down into several increments so people can understand it. You can break it down into like 10 increment and you can do a practice in like 10, 15 minutes very easily and receive the benefits of, of what the movements do. And the style of Qigong that he created is called Shenzhen Wuji Wanggong, which means unconditional love before time began. Essentially, it's a return to oneness. It's a return to your natural state that you were born into. It precludes the egocentric mind of putting you in the past and the future. So if you're in the past or future, you really don't have a lot of control over your life. You a lot of times relive your past and do the same things over and over again when you are caught up in trying to manipulate your present from a future or past state of mind. So what it does is it brings you into your now. Your natural self was born in the now and it was when you grew up, you were always in the now until the mind came in and would take you into your past and future much more often than you would probably like. But what this practice does is it brings you back to your now and your breath and allows you to be in a much more natural and loving state. So ideally what it does is it opens up your heart so that unconditional love and this energy can flow through you freely and easily. And what stops this energy from flowing is usually two things. One is that we're caught in our head. We're thinking too much. We're in analysis paralysis. We've all been in that state where we're trying to, to figure out what to do and we don't do anything. I'm in the grocery store and I'm looking at all these avocados and I'm trying to figure out what are the best avocados to buy. And I'll stand there sometimes for 10 minutes, feeling every avocado and trying to figure out what's the best one. I'm such a food nerd. I, I really get into the process of buying my food and I look for the best fruits and vegetables as much as possible. So we get stuck in our head. And when we get stuck in our head, that energy then gets stuck in, in our body. And when the energy slows down or stops, that's when the energy becomes murky. That's when the energy becomes sour. If you're 
not in your head, the energy can then flow through you freely. And another way the energy is stopped or hindered is that we sit in positions for way too long. So, you know, obviously the Western world has most of its workforce sitting at a desk for several hours on end. And this is creating a lot of stress and strife in people's life because energy gets stuck in people's body when you don't move your body. So the idea is to move your body in this very gentle fashion. And that's what Shenzhen is all about. You move your body in a very light and fluid fashion. Does he have a video course or a book? Um, I'll give you the website. It's www.shenzhen.org and it's spelled S-H-E-N-G-Z-H-E-N.org. That's his website and the teacher's website for all of the teachers and practitioners around the world. This thing is global. I mean, it's in it's in Sweden and Israel and France and Italy. Yeah, it's easier for people just to go to this website and then find out where a local practitioner or teacher is that they can utilize. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes so it's easy for people to find a link. Have you tried other types of Qigong as well, or is this the one that you have been practicing? I would say I mostly practice this style of Qigong because it feels so good for my body and my mind. But I've recently discovered another style of Qigong called Golden Dragon Qigong. The principal teacher, I believe, is Jason Chan, and he resides in the United Kingdom. And But he travels all over the world, much like my teacher. It's very young style, which means it's it's very male. And I totally recommend it. I feel amazing when I'm doing this practice as well. Mm. Switching gears a little bit, in our private talks, you mentioned loving kindness meditation, which is something that you recommend to your students as well. Why is it so important? I believe it's so important because a lot of our thoughts that come up can be very negative and self-deprecating. This is not true for every single person on the planet, but a large portion of the Western world is in a place of being negative with themselves, and they feel like they're not competing or doing enough at work. And those thoughts are powerful on our body. And if you are constantly thinking negative thoughts, they can lead to negative emotions and negative emotions can change the the chemistry of how our body is basically re relating with the world and with itself so you can naturally create discord and disharmony in the body when you are thinking these negative thoughts that create negative emotions one thing i tell my clients is that you can eat the best food in the world but if you are in discord and disharmony in your head the food that you eat is going to do nothing for your body. You won't take in the nutrition from what you're eating. So it's vitally important that you are in a state of peace and happiness. I also put in gratitude. Like whenever I eat, I thank the food. I thank the people who prepared the food. I thank the people who brought the food. I thank everybody in that whole process for allowing this energy to come to my table and for me to ingest it. And when you're more mindful about what you eat, and for the people that brought it to you, I feel like you gain more beneficial energy from that experience. Mm. When you start seeing the thoughts from a place of equanimity and you're not judging the thoughts either way, and if the thought is detrimental, I often tell my students like, hey, give yourself some kindness. You know, Be gentle with yourself with whatever the thought is. I also recommend mantras like, I am now fully open 
open to give and receive unconditional love and infinite abundance Mm -hmm. in all of its forms. Or I am in good health, wealth, love, and perfect self-expression. And this can help fortify a mental attitude that is beneficial for your waking state so that when you wake up from your meditation, you're not just like being super hard on yourself. Like, oh, I took 20 minutes to meditate. Now I've got to do all this other stuff and I've got to hurry. It's like, no, you wake up and you're like, you know what? I am in a good state of mind. I am healthy. I'm happy for what I have. And I can move throughout my day with more joy instead of being angry or irritated at myself. These are internal muscles. The idea behind the neuroplasticity is that our brain changes according to how we use it. So if we're all the time criticizing ourselves and thinking what we're doing wrong and how bad we are and how worthless, then it becomes easier and easier to fall into this type of thinking and to fall into the corresponding emotions. But if we start practicing the opposite, and in the beginning it may feel a little bit forced, like I'm just kind of creating things in my head, we start creating feelings of self-love and self-acceptance, self-compassion. By time, this muscle gets exercised and becomes easier and easier to feel like this, to the point that one day arrives that it's as easy or even easier for us to feel self-acceptance and encouragement and self-love than it is to fall into the old patterns of thinking. So it kind of flips around. And it's the same with any type of uh, mental attitude and, and feeling. We can cultivate the positive feeling or, or the opposite feeling. Absolutely. I concur with you 100%. Every single thought, every single behavior fires a synapse or, or neuron inside of our brain. And those brain synapses that fire together, they wire together and create neural pathways that make it easier for you to access that point of emotion. So if you are in a state of happiness and joy and contentment and gratitude and you practice that, it's very easy for you to access that point no matter where you are. Even if you have had a negative or sour experience with someone or something, you can rebound back into that place of happiness and joy so much more easily than if your attitude is like, God, why does this always happen to me? Or bad things always happen to me why can't I ever change my life? Then you create a notion and a paradigm, a type of thinking that you are helpless and that things are hopeless and that you are not in control of your life. Or actuality, I believe that circumstances don't matter and that only your state of being is what really matters. Your state of being of where you are in every single moment is how you create your physical reality. That your personality creates your personal reality. You create that space in your physical world. When we embody the state of loving kindness and joy and happiness, we then create a society around us that is reflective of these emotions and behaviors and thoughts and feelings. Hmm. This practice of loving kindness can be done with uh, affirmations to help you tune into that feeling. And traditionally in, in Buddhist practice, you, you would bring to mind a moment in your life that you felt love. Think of somebody that has given you a lot of love and that would help you tune in with that feeling of being loved. And then you can also use that, those affirmations to kind of support that feeling. 
and developing this feeling of self-love and gratitude would be the first step of the practice and then you would develop this feeling towards somebody that you like and then also towards somebody that is neutral and then also towards somebody that you dislike so that's how the, the practice goes advancing but indeed i think uh, what most people need is to to really turn off self-criticizing and self-loathing voice i i think it's it's one of the most profound ways we can change our life and get out of a, a state of being where we think we're helpless and mm -hmm. we're not helpless in every single moment we can we have a choice between love and fear i believe that the more you're in that happiness state you create circumstances that allow to perpetuate that happiness to go farther beyond your experience it's vitally important to train the mind it's like practicing the piano or practicing a sport where you just start getting into the habit of becoming quiet and relaxing the mind to not judge anything and then once you get into the spaciousness in between the thoughts you then have fertile ground to insert mantras and affirmations that can be very helpful. Definitely. It's interesting that some of these uh, negative emotions, they are inherent to, to being human, like uh, anger or, or fear, attachment, desire, greed. These things are kind of natural in, in all cultures and to all people. But other, other emotions like uh, self-criticism, self-loathing, guilt, shame, these are more like mental constructs. They are stronger in some types of societies. In the West, we seem to suffer a lot from this type of negative thinking to the point that Dalai Lama, when he was in his first years that he was uh, teaching in the West, he was surprised at the amount of self-harm uh, people do with their own thoughts. And that in Tibetan, they don't even have a word for low self-esteem. <laughs> they don't know what that means. <laughs> and you got to wonder where, where did they come from? I honestly believe that they came from friends and family members and teachers and peers, people that we associate with. It's kind of like this domino effect of, or this snowball that just starts getting bigger and bigger because we get into this repetitious state of thinking. I mean, like I said before, we have, you know, 80 or 90,000 thoughts a day and 90% of those thoughts get repeated yeah. every single day. And if you're on this track of being negative or self-criticizing or judging other people, it's a hard habit to break. And what my practice, I think, does the best is that it wakes people up to the now, not only wakes them up to the now, but it allows them to feel this joy and harmony that resides in, in everyone and everything. It's just a matter of rediscovering it, allowing that energy to flow. And once the energy starts flowing, you can feel it. You feel energized, you feel relaxed, but you also feel just naturally happy. To me, that's the best way to describe what meditation and Qigong and other spiritual practices can do for yourself. Nice, nice. Now, if you could go back 10 years in time and meet the old version of yourself, what advice would you give to the past you? I would tell my old self to be passionate about being passionate. I've recently woken up to this epiphany or this realization about two years ago. And when I first started teaching, I was very much enamored with it and loved it and was doing it 
all the time and was teaching in many different places, but I was still not doing it 100%. And I was still doing other jobs to make money. What I've realized in the last couple of years, it's like, hey, if you're going to do this, let's do this. Let's go with this with the full amount of passion and vim and vigor and energy as possible to make this a successful endeavor and reach as many people as possible with this notion and this philosophy. So yeah, get passionate about this and start doing this with your full amount of energy and, and don't quit and be persistent about spreading this news and this information about how important it is and how healing and amazing it can be. Hmm. So if people want to connect with you and know more about you, where can they go? They can go to awakenbodyandsoul.com. And that's all spelled out, awakenbodysoul.com. If they want to email me, they can email me at peter at awakenbodyandsoul.com. If anyone has any questions about Qigong, meditation or even just wellness in general. I, I do wellness coaching to help people change their behaviors to reach an optimal wellness. Um, I'd love to talk to them about those notions as well. Cool. Those links are there in the show notes for people. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Peter. It was lovely talking to you. Uh, it was a pure delight. I, I super appreciate the opportunity. So that was our interview with Peter Peterson. You can find the show notes for this episode with all the links, names, and resources mentioned at liveandare.com slash episode 11. If this was your first time listening, thanks for coming. We bring a great variety of guests from all walks of life and practitioners of different meditation techniques. So be sure to stick around. Please leave a comment on the show notes on the show in iTunes or on the blog. And you can follow me on Twitter at geo underscore self. Now we'll end it with a quote. This one is from Alan Watts, the famous writer about Zen and Taoism. Meditation is the discovery that the point of life is always arrived at in the immediate moment. <laughs>